Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. If Beyonce can do Coachella, we can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It's been a massive week and we will be unpacking all of the news from the AFL and the AFLW. For mine this week, the big news that caught my eye was Rebecca Goddard leaving the Adelaide Crows. We will be unpacking that and more. I'm Emma Race. I'm Kate Sear. I'm still Nicole Hayes. I'm Lucille too. Actually, Lucy Race. <laughs> You're hilarious. I'd forgotten she's funny. I'm Felicity Race. Welcome hey. back. Hey, Felicity thank Race. you. Nice to be back. We're without Alicia sometimes today, but it is nice to have you back, Felicity, or as one of my dear friends, Adam, calls you and Lucy, the Felicities. <laughs> just m- m- pushes you in nice. together, same like person. It. Can I just say that I was so lucky to go to Bali and indulge in my love of non-AFL approved merchandise. <laughs> it's everywhere over there. <laughs> Good stuff. I've got cases full. Hit me up. Been dancing nice. what's as well? Uh, I didn't. I, I don't do beer, so I <laughs> I, I walk past the bintang. Fair, <laughs> Fair enough. Can't believe you didn't get your hair braided. No, I know. Hmm. I know. It's disappointing. Really let the team down. So not much happened while you were gone. Um, we replaced you with Melissa Etheridge for a little while. Ah, and cool. And she was a great sister, to oh. be honest. Is yeah. it because I can't sing? Yep. Like, this is really becoming an issue now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it actually is. Um, so let's get straight into some footy chat. Can I go first? Because something happened on the weekend that I absolutely was loving. And I know you guys were sitting next to me at the football and I was screaming every time David Mirror got the ball for Hawthorne. And this isn't going to be a Hawthorne. Story just it's a good news story. He's played 126 VFL games and finally got the nod up into the seniors. And it was an extraordinary thing to see. He actually played really well. Um, it's a good opportunity for him to get some um, ground time in the defensive line for Hawthorne. And I think he earned his spot and it just made me think dreams do come true never give up on it people it was yeah. a real highlight mm. for me yeah it was great I've got one great. along a similar theme um Daniel Menzel kicking five goals so he's now kicked he plays for Geelong I'm sure you all know because you're all footy fans but four knee reconstructions yeah. Dan Menzel's gone through and he's now kicked 14 goals for the season five in round four he kicked four against us in round two and I'm just loving watching him play yeah, he's playing very, very good. Although only to get one contract, another one year. At the yep. end of the year, that's what his situation is, isn't yep. it? It's that tricky situation where he's had, you know, these issues with his body and yep. so what does, you know, mm. the, the club he's, has to balance it up. He's done really well for a player with four legs. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Felicity. <laughs> Speaking of legs... I know I, they often say four knees, don't they? Four Sorry, knees. just sorry. back on commentary watch. Four knees. Had four knees. Well, this this guy mm. only has one ankle, as far as I know. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> as far 
Yes, no, I know. <laughs> have a look. Well, you know, Emma said she's shocked when footballers take their shoes off and they've yeah. got actual feet underneath there. <laughs> true. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, true. true. This is, uh, I'm talking about former Western Bulldogs player, the well, former captain actually, Ryan Griffin, who had a big comeback after a year out playing for GWS on the weekend. He's had persistent ankle injuries as well. He kicked the first goal of the game in, and it was lovely to see him being swamped by his GWS players. I'm a big fan of the comeback. I mean, mm. I think we all are. We've just sort of all pointed them out. But great to see him back on track. And fingers crossed, touching wood, no injuries. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you just touched laminate. I did. I think so. <laughs> Speaking of injuries, you know, we're, we're so used to in the AFLW having players over the age of 30, but in AFLM it's kind of unusual. And, you know, when players are in their late 20s and, and 30s, we talk about them as being older players mm. all the time now. It's be interesting, actually. We should look at the average age of the AFLW compared to the AFLM. But it Sounds was, like maths to me. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um <laughs> But it was really a bit of a, a, a moment for some of those older players, you know, and it's sad watching Gary Ablett out and, mm. you know, now Cyril out for up to six weeks. Sean Rioli. Yeah. Sean. Sorry, did I need to use his sin? I was going to say, Cyril Rioli, the man, as opposed to Cyril Rioli, the dog. Yes, My exactly. dog, he's not out exactly. injured at the moment. He's fighting fit. And, and hello, Cyril, if and you're the listening. Other, <laughs> the other senior player under the pump was Luke Hodge. And I, I found that fascinating because Brisbane's currently – second from the bottom of the ladder without a win and Danny Frawley says it's Luke Hodges' fault. Apparently he's the sea anchor up there and needs to sit in the grandstand because he's holding the team back. It was well, interesting. I think, his point was, <laughs> I think his point was that against a team like Richmond that is so incredibly fast that it really exposed how mm-hmm. not fast Luke Hodge is. I was at that game. I have to say I spent a lot of time looking at Snapchat filters because it got quite boring. <laughs> mm. It was mm. just, it was actually heartbreaking yeah. to, to see that and Oh, you know, to go to watch a team not um, not kick a goal until the third quarter was pretty rough. I found that I'm a bit ruined by AFLW in that when I see low scoring games or I see a game that doesn't have many people watching it or whatever, I now see it through the filter of the trolls and the haters of AFLW who pointed the finger at those things and mm. I go, oh, hang on a minute, mm, AFLM, where are your goals? Where are you? And I don't want to be that person. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to say memo. I just want it to leave me. I, want, I need all those I know. because I never thought that at AFLM before and I never thought at AFLW before. I really need that to leave me. It was a lacklustre round of football in that there were some real blowouts and mm. a few teams that really struggled to score and and it was it was quite boring, yeah. I have to say, like Although some I, of those games. Yeah, I must say I loved the Bulldogs-Swans game. That was, that was, was a real highlight. Good one, yeah. That it? was a real highlight yeah. for I me. I thought that, the Essendon-Port mm. Adelaide game, the Collingwood-Adelaide game. Yeah. Um, but to see Carlton only score 30 points and to see Brisbane only score 17 points, and yeah. I know it's not about the scoring, but it was Brisbane was so outplayed that it was... I, I don't mm. know how you get, you know, how you reset everybody's mm. minds to get up again next week. Richmond are still very good. They have no premiership oh, hangover, absolutely. do no. they? Mm. Their fast hands are getting faster. Oh, so Carlton, though. Although, mm. and I was going to say. Stinky. But with the Tigers, they've played four <laughs> matches at the MCG. Like, let's not keep that. Let's not forget that. It'll be interesting to see how, how they travel. I reckon it'll be fine. Mm. I'm just tipping. Carlton have some issues. They are stinky. It's mm. really rough for their supporters, especially if you're married to a Carlton supporter. I, I was thinking Nothing that. Nothing takes the romance out of a, <laughs> a, a night on the couch with your husband, <laughs> like when he goes for Carlton, mm. yeah. can I just say. Terrible. Did you see um, 
the very funny Titus O'Reilly tweeted, I wonder what Carlton was training for in the preseason. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that we just haven't um, mentioned, which I just do want to tip my hat, my teeny tiny mm. hat <laughs> to is Collingwood and the yeah. cheer squad mm. who put together that banner laden with spelling mistakes after they had made a spelling error the week before. I loved that they had a dig at I themselves. That, I yeah. thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Well. The other thing I'd like to say is, you know, last week we said, you know, maybe it was the week of the Ruckman. I think this week was the week of the coach. And there was a lot of love for Nathan Buckley and a lot of talk on Twitter about this being his best um game as coach of Collingwood. There was also a bit of, um, I think I read that there was some cheers at Essendon when Kale Hooker went to the back line and everyone was like, yeah, about time we've made that move. (laughs) And so, yeah, I I quite liked the discourse about the good coaching moves this round. There was some of the talk too about Hodge being in the back line and not having it. I mean that, you know, of course a lot of the play was down there, but that Mm you know, maybe moving him around or doing something else so that because all those young players were really exposed too. I mean, they've got the skills and the speed but not the strategy Mm. to deal with such a big loss. It sounds, I don't, it sounds mean to criticise Luke Hodge but he had about four kick-ins that that were really really dodgy. Like it it looked like either he just didn't, miskicked or he didn't put enough on it or he wasn't really interested in being there and it, yeah, it really looked quite, unlike what I've seen from Luke Hodge. He had like one of the highest accuracy, kicking accuracies Mm. in the competition for years and years. So, yeah, it's a real turnaround, isn't it? The thing that I took away from um, the weekend that was terrifying was watching that footage of the St Kilda game and seeing Dylan Robertson just fall down behind play, no one around him. And um, do you have any info on what that was, Luke? um, So Dylan Robertson had... um, What did I say? Robertson. Sorry. Robertson. Robertson. Yeah, you're right. Um... So he went to hospital. He's out of hospital now. He won't be playing for the next two weeks and won't be doing any exercise. So while they just work out what I think is an arrhythmia, um, I think you'll have seen Kale Kirby from Collingwood had a similar situation in the VFL. And it's an it's an interesting one. They All of these players get screened for heart abnormalities um, through the combine. And I think you'll remember that Jaden Stevenson, who's playing for Collingwood, um, when he went through that screening, they they found out that he also has a, a, a different type of um, condition that is very well treated. And um, there are a few clubs who didn't decided not to pick him up, but he went to Collingwood and actually was the rising star for this week. So well done, Jaden. I think it's um, one of those things that it's really great that the AFL do do these screening. Um, tests, you're not going to pick up everything. There's a lot of different things that can happen and it's just great that it was a good result that he was fine and now he's getting the treatment that he that he needs and hopefully will be back playing. There's also that condition um, that, that, you know, ex- with, with high-performance athletes. And I feel like Shane Crawford, this happened to him, where um, the, the fact that they train so hard and so high and that they can have, like, forced arrhythmia into their... I, um, and they can, it can cause them to pass out. Is this the time for me to put on my hat as yeah. a previous cardiac technologist? Um, with a heart arrhythmia, you you have a like a, a wiring system in your heart that short circuits, and you can't force that by exercise. You've got oh, to have okay. a predisposition to it. Mm. But in some respects, players um, like um, Dylan on the weekend. They're actually quite fortunate when something like that happens in a controlled environment because, you know, sometimes you hear about these athletes who just, with no support, nothing else, you know, or or on their own, they're out training and they just, you know, drop. 
And um, you can't screen for all heart arrhythmias because unless it's occurring at the time that you're doing the test, mm. you can't see it. And mm. you can put a 24-hour monitor on someone, you can put a 48-hour monitor on someone and guaranteed it'll cure any heart arrhythmia. You, you know, you're very, it, it takes a lot to actually pick them up. Mm. It's taken three years, but you just earned your bin Thank you. Yeah. Well yeah. done. I am the fake doctor in the house today, Katie. <laughs> okay, let's melee, ladies. There's been a lot of things happening. Um, we've all got a lot to say as per usual. Lucy, why don't you kick it off? I was wondering whether you saw in uh, The Age that Martin Flanagan wrote another article about Tasmanian football this week. Um, it was a story about North Hobart Football Club, which is returning to the Tasmanian State League. In 2013, there was a forced name change um, as part of the rationalisation of the competition. And North Hobart, which is one of the oldest clubs in the country, actually older than Collingwood, um, changed its name to Hobart City. And one of the things that happened after that is that membership really dropped off and there was, you know, financial difficulties that flowed from that. This article was really interesting because Martin kind of talked about how there's some lovely things about Australian rules football that it grew organically and it grew organically in four states in this country. It's not a creation of an organisational body like the AFL. And he makes the point that we really only have in Australia the grassroots level of football and then the National League. So there's a frustration that comes across um, where he talks about we're not, you know, that going to the US to have a look at the Super Bowl isn't necessarily something that, you know, can translate easily back to how we grow the game here because, you know, we don't have that. We don't have college football, which is a very well-resourced and um, very successful sort of middle tier in, in, in American sport. One of the other things that um, Martin Flanagan mentions is in this article is that Steve Hocking has talked about how the broadcast rights mean so much to AFL now that that's something that is always going to be taken into account when we're making changes about the game. So I guess it's it's an article that sort of picks out a whole lot of things that um, I think we've discussed in terms of frustrations with changes that we're seeing in the game. And it struck me that probably the big missing point in all of this is fans, that there have been so many things that we see talked about from top down with different leagues, you know, from the AFL all the way through to grassroots. And there doesn't ever seem to be a real forum to hear the feedback from fans. And, you know, we talked about um, the AFL putting together this super panel, which they've now done, and it's populated with people from club presidents to coaches to players. But again, there's not a fan representative. Um, can I suggest one? <laughs> <laughs> sure. How, oh, would Lucy, wouldn't too? Lucy be great on the super panel? It would increase the yeah. female component because it, I think we've only got Peggy O'Neill there, haven't mm. we? As far only as Peggy O'Neill on that super who's panel. Who's awesome, Nicole but she's Livingston, literally she the only one. Hang on, who's on the super panel? So Peggy O'Neill is on the panel and the league is represented by Jason Ball, Kylie Rogers and Nicole Livingston from the AFL. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, okay. there are three women. But there was a press release that went out today from the Fans Association, the AFL-FA, um, talking about the fact that the AFL is going to make a decision about what time the grand final is going to be played this year. So that's still up in the air. And there's a quote that they 
you know, came out with from Gillan McLaughlin saying the grand final is one of the most important days for our supporters and we'll make the decision we think is right for them. Just to play devil's advocate, how do you choose a fan representative? Like that's a really impossible mm. task. But and is, oh yeah, I was thinking the fans association. I know or there is the like fan, that. like Cheryl mm. Critchley, isn't mm. she the head of the fans mm. association yeah. or whatever? So she seems like she'd probably be a good choice. But it's really hard because the fans are so massively mm. different, mm. and there's so many different. Uh, you're looking at me like I'm a crazy person, Kate. No, but no, I, not I, at I all. would find no, that no, really challenging good, to good, find someone. It's yeah. a good point. I mean, I've mentioned before that principle of nothing about us without us that kind of, you know, um, dominates a whole range of sectors that I'm involved in in my professional work. And um, this is often a debate as well. How do you include people when they need to be, they need to have a seat at the table? But the thing is that there's, you don't just give one seat at the table because Mm. then you can be accused of tokenism, Mm. you know. I don't think there should just be one fan representative. I see no reason why there couldn't be multiple fan representatives since we are actually the custodians of the game, it's in my view. Literally, mm. football exists entirely for the purpose of the audience, the yeah. spectacle. That mm. is why why yes. it has a place in our society. So it is about the fans entirely. Um, and certainly the, the way going forward should have a big influence on that. Mm. Um, well, it's interesting, Lucy. Some of the things that you've just talked about flow into some things that caught my eye in the in the press this week. Um, so there was an announcement this week of a nearly five hundred million dollar package for stadium upgrades. Um, many of you will have seen that, but some of the big talking points for the, from that announcement were that there will be a twenty million dollar upgrade to Princess Park, mm. and it will become the home of AFLW upgrades, also to the MCG and to Dockland Stadium. One of the things that will happen will be that there will be improved change rooms for women at Docklands, which is great. $60 million for community sporting grants, also for upgrades. So all great. Um, More controversially, there was the announcement that the grand final will stay at the MCG until 2057 uh, at this stage. It might even be longer. Um, And that the Brownlow will stay in Victoria for at least the next decade. This is at the same time, as you say, Lucy, that there's real troubles with um, football in Tasmania and also some instability about um, attempts to grow the game in other parts of the country. And we're seeing this concentration of and sort of bedding down of football in Victoria as the heartland. And I think, you know, it's interesting that there is a real need to to look at what's happening in other states and try and build it there. I think it was the wrong decision. Can I say that? Are we allowed to debate whether we think... What, the the AFL grand final? Yeah, that the grand final should be at the MCG. Yeah. Do you think it should be here, in, like until you're an eighty-year-old woman? I, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I, I don't have a strong view on it either way. My concern is that it that it concentrates AFL in Victoria yeah. at the time that they're trying to encourage growth in Gold, on areas. the Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney, and that there are problems in Tasmania and so on. What do you think, Felicity? I, I think if I put my very selfish hat on, I say yes, it's fantastic because it means I can be there. But from a um, you know, a more pragmatic thing. It's a it's a very long time ahead to say to fans in other states, you, you know, you, you don't get a shot. And, yeah, I know they don't have the stadiums the same size, but if you take out a whole lot of the, um, you know, the, the people who just sort of go along in the day because it's there and available and, mm-hmm. you know, it's corporate and all that, um, you know, it could be a really beautiful, amazing fan-based spectacle in, in stadiums in other states. And um, if I lived in another state, I'd be really upset. What do you think, Nicole? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm very torn in the same way. It, not just because I can be there, but uh, 
being in Melbourne, but it's also just that emotional and the fact that so much of football does, the romantic and the history seems to be being lost. And I, and I can see the argument. And in my heart, I love that it's going to be here, but also just from a fairness point of view, um, the fact that you, it's such a, a challenge for an interstate club to win at the MCG and to have such an entrenched unfairness in the final game is pretty hard to justify. Um, what do you think, Lou? If you're talking about unfairness, I think, you know, one of the great furfies is that it is fair comp. You know, mm, let's true. look at the way the fixture works. Mm. And so... Spoken like a true mum, life is not fair. <laughs> it's not. Get over it. Suck it up. See me just avoiding talking about the grand final. Yeah. I just I think it's the wrong decision. I really do. I think and to lock it in until that you know, I do too. Really and I deal. think that it was a real opportunity and I know it's the Victorian state government's punching the air and good on them whatever, but I think um for this competition um, we are seeing upgrades to stadiums all around the country that have unique personalities and offer unique perspectives on football and I don't think it's fair and I think that it should be really similar to the American um, NFL model. I think that they should plot it out and that we should know that the grand final will in two years' time be at the SCG and a year after that will be at the Adelaide Oval regardless of who plays. And But I'd be happy if we always had a prelim at the MCG. Can Is I that just, okay to say that? Yeah, I just I do feel like though those a lot of those upgrades really missed an opportunity. I think that it should have been forward planning. Most of them aren't going to be able to hold the same crowd and it's I don't so think it's about crowd numbers. Like if we're going I don't to talk think about, it has to be, but no, it could have been. It could have been, but I think crowd numbers at the MCG on grand final day they're not just they're not fans they're corporates mm. so let's dial that back and let's give it back to the fans or let's make it all corporates or whatever you want to do but I don't think that that's that but I that's what it should come down to if you had a, a grand final at that new Perth stadium sorry and you had a hundred thousand capacity you would fill it and it wouldn't just be corporates you would have people I, I really feel like this in those heartland places where the game has you know uh, has been has done its own thing for so long you would fill it and it would be real fans yeah of course it yeah. would be real fans anywhere it could be mm. but it's the corporate they sell all these corporate True. things off and th- i mean that's something that i think should be stamped out of the game sorry mm. kate i interrupted no, that's you all right. no no it's actually great because it comes back to something else i wanted to to mention which uh, i have an idea to give back mm. to the fans which i heard um which, which sort of comes out of a story that came out this week from the nrl i don't know if you all saw this but um Basically, the NRL has announced that next year they're going to trial a so-called magic weekend of rugby. And what it's going to involve is the NRL will schedule an entire round of rugby in Brisbane. They're going to have eight games across four days, all, as I understand it, played at the main stadium in Brisbane. So put aside the fact that, you know, there might not be venues in capital cities and so on. They're going to have all of their games at one stadium. Um, I know that there are all kinds of logistical issues and perhaps even contractual issues with the AFL having certain games contracted to stadiums that they don't own. But I want to see the AFL contemplate something like that at, at a time when there are real concerns about, you know, the game falling behind in places like Tasmania, the need to build the game up on the Gold Coast or Greater Western Sydney. I, I imagine the carnival atmosphere of the AFL committing to have an entire round in, say, Sydney or mm. even in Hobart. Mm. It would be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, imagine an entire, say, magic weekend of football, AFL in in the, in, the, um, in Sydney, perhaps culminating in a Swans-Giants blog, blockbuster at the end of the round. 
what that would do for for footy in that in that city. Um, and as I said, I think we've reached a time when the AFL needs to work a lot harder. I think to reward loyal fans in places like Tasmania and to encourage interest in other cities. I'd love to see them think um, about doing something like this. And I read that the Queensland government actually has committed to financially backing this magic weekend of rugby in Brisbane. They're putting money into it because they know it'll bring fans into the city people will come and spend the weekend there and stay in hotels and eat out in restaurants so it's huge financial boost for the city and at the time when the AFL and particularly the AFLW needs some financial support I'd like to see it considered for either the AFLM or the AFLW or perhaps even both. And I'd throw Northern Territory in there too. Exactly. Any, I mean, any place in Australia, Great. Um, I think it could work. I, th- I think it would be um, very hard to manage in AFL because I think the big difference is I think NRL averages about ten or 11,000 people at their games. And, and in fact, when I read that announcement, I had a much more cynical approach. I thought, oh, well, that's easy. You just set the cameras up once and record all four matches, you know, if you're the, <laughs> the broadcaster. You know, when you actually look at the crowds... There's nobody at the rugby games. It's all for TV. So, you know, whether it brings people in or... But you can't say that there's always more than 14,000 at an AFL ground. Like at at that GWS game on the weekend, like I thought I saw like four people there. (laughs) Seriously. I would love to see... Imagine if Tassie hosted a a super weekend of football and it was between... And there was Launceston games and Hobart games. Both of those grounds are fantastic. I'd probably travel there for that. I would travel there for that and I would go to as many games as I could. I'm just saying I'm not sure rugby fans would because I think they've got very used to watching it on TV. But I like the innovation Mm. that rugby is looking at how they can give something back and how they can and try something sort new. Of to offset the um, the state of origin and mm. the impact it has too, I think is one of the factors for the NRL. Can I just put in there that um, I did read this morning that, that the AFL is going down to Tasmania to have a meeting and talk about a way forward there and looking at um, and, and looking at what they need to do to really try and um, shore, uh, create those development pathways again and strengthen strengthen Tasmanian footy. So it's definitely on their agenda. Yep. Yeah, that's good to know. As it should be. Did you watch the uh, the Commonwealth Games closing ceremony? I, I did. I, saw a I just I watched the, the Twitter feed. Yeah, I was watching the Twitter feed and then found myself re- rewinding back to check out. It was out. amazing. I, I actually was thinking in terms of the, the grand final of what would happen if we put the Commonwealth Games organisers in charge of the AFL grand final mm-hmm. and how that would pan out. Um, I came up with a few things. I think, firstly, they'd probably hold the match off-site um, <laughs> because you just need a bit more room on the on the actual surface for the entertainment and for the the show. So they might beam in the match, maybe on like a hologram or something like that. You could that. watch it on 7, mate. Oh, yeah, probably. You could well, watch no. it on the app, on your phone. No, actually, you would watch it on 7, but then halfway through they would say, no, you have to turn to 7, mate, because men are playing hockey. Um, the, the other thing they do, obviously, is they would employ a US ad agency like they did for the Commonwealth Games and pay them $46 million for the event. Um, they'd probably host it in Austria, though, so it would get a bit confusing and we'd all have to explain <laughs> what footy is to them and, you know, the, the dancing soccer balls they'd organised would have got awkward, etc. But, uh, you know, it, it's such a huge amount of money to, to give a US-based advertising agency $46 million to organise a, a closing ceremony. Shouldn't they at least give it to someone in the Commonwealth? <laughs> 
<laughs> that should be a rule. Why did they give it to it's extraordinary. Canada's not even in the Commonwealth. It's extraordinary, yes. isn't it? No, they're not. They're in the Commonwealth Games, but they're not. They're not a Commonwealth country anymore. They're a anymore. Commonwealth, but they're just not a constitutional monarch. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Sorry. So they're technically class. still the Commonwealth. Well, are they technically still? No, where have they come to the game? They don't have the Queen on no. their notes. No, I know, but the Commonwealth... Oh, I, you know what? We should... Should we cut this whole thing? <laughs> no, 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 I think we should keep it in. I think it's, it's important just... for people to see the floors. <laughs> yeah, I think too. I think okay. so too. We'll just, just get Justin Trudeau work. on next week Can to you clarify. Google that? Yeah. Ollie, I'm looking at Ollie, our <laughs> producer, because... I'm sure that I read this. That, 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 well, uh, there's a technicality works, anyway. Someone let us know. Yeah, someone, someone let us know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, okay. I like your cynical take. Do you? Yeah, yeah. I do. We have missed it. Yeah. Oh, good. Cynical tongue. Good, I'm, good. I might have a bit of a cynical take on something here. Or maybe oh. not cynical. It's probably the opposite of that, actually. What What are people's thoughts on the notion that um, superstition curses are gen- intergenerational? Okay. Yes, so yes. You, I endorse that. You endorse position. that? <laughs> big, big surprise Without there, ever Katie. knowing what it means. Yeah. <laughs> no, fully endorsed. So James Masola wrote a piece about having um, having to, whether to decide, he, he's in that process, He's about he and his wife are about to have twins. They're not yet born and he's worried about imposing um, his Melbourne Football Club supportership on the twins. And it, it would be the third generation of demons and he just is so despairing of what's been happening and, and having never seen um, a premiership or it really even anything like the um, fulfilment of potential that he was hoping should he should he impose that on his children? It made me think about the fact that there are these clubs that intergenerationally continue to just fall short of the mark, um, and and seems although I'm not writing off Melbourne and the Saints yet, obviously in round four going into round five, it's not looking good for them to win a premiership. Let's mm-hmm. at this point, well certainly not the Saints, I think, mm-hmm. um, and the Demons, uh, they've got a long way to go if they're going to make it by the end of September. Can um, I just say, though, the only reason that the D's lost on the weekend is because, uh, as Lucy will attest, I moved my scarf around at quarter time. <laughs> oh, so true. I they were doing really well until Kate did that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And then they only kicked one goal after quarter oh, time. Well, so explains it. if I don't do that this weekend, I think the pathway to the flag is probably clear well, for the Well, we need D's. you to do it, so mm. that's the point. Mm. Um, but what I think is really interesting, if you think about the, the collie wobbles, was um, mm. it, how long that lasted for, about 30-something years. Mm. And, and I remember reading <laughs> Lee Matthews, Lee Matthews, sorry. I know for those younger listeners at home, the Collingwobbles <laughs> was this idea of um, Collingwood. I think they lost eight grand finals. We don't um, have any younger listeners. Don't worry about <laughs> it. Right, okay. It's we don't like, have any listeners. It, it's like the Kennet curse, but it's in black and white. It is in black and white. It's absolutely that. Um, <laughs> and beater. And they even they even actually drew and almost got there and then lost in 77 against North. But well, Lee Matthews talks about in his um, in one of his earlier uh, biographies, he's got a couple apparently, that when he got to Collingwood as an assistant coach, that the feeling at the club was that the, the Collywobbles were a real thing, that actual football heads and administrators genuinely believed that they real. were cursed. Yeah. What are you talking <laughs> Well, obviously he smashed it. So I guess I'm asking you guys or even, you know, our listeners, for how do you break these curses? You know, what, what does it take? For the demons to break through, or the saints, and I mean, it happened for the Bulldogs. They would have been that club and for a very long Richmond, time. I'm and Tigers, like, you cannot, you, you cannot avoid what is your 
heritage. If you are born to two Melbourne loving parents, then you have to be a Melbourne supporter. How imagine if your son, who was like he is Eeyore, he's glass half empty, and a lot of that is probably because he's been raised a Richmond supporter. But you can't Emma's looking at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> and also cannot... she has three sons, but we know which one she's yeah. talking about. <laughs> exactly. Shout out to Jake. Um you the joy. The he joy. actually had joy last year yeah. in his life. He waited 20 years for he waited, it. It's not that long. Yeah. I don't think that's long to no. wait for a grand final. No, no. Like no that's spoken like a Hawthorne supporter, I'm afraid, that 20 years sounding like a long time. For a lot of other people, that's pretty standard, actually. Yeah, well, exactly. I think Sydney waited 72 years mm. for their... Flag in two thousand. I mean, you can't break that, but there's. I feel like there's a, there's a thing, there's a process, and there is and a process. Really there is a process, and is. if you've listened to our podcast for the last three years, you know that <laughs> there are a lot of things you need to do, like mm. condiments, scarves, underwear, etc. Oh my gosh, donating <laughs> money. The fear in Lucy's <laughs> eyes on the weekend yeah. when we were walking into the MCG, and the um, the man was there collecting money for the um, the Anzac appeal, and <laughs> fear. Lucy's like, I don't have any. Cash. I don't have any. I had to leap in and pay it for her. Oh, so, well, yeah, I actually on Sunday because um, this was we were meant to all be there together, and I couldn't make it for various reasons. We have not yet managed to watch Hawthorne win altogether, mm. so I feel like my not coming, yeah, helped. Yeah, we know that a bit of time you're not coming. Yeah, we we did. never yeah. coming again. Just, and in fact, Alicia offered to leave if, yep. if yep. things weren't going well at quarter yep. time. Yeah, good. So, fair um, just a little update on Canada. <laughs> <laughs> They have independence from the UK, but are voluntarily in the Commonwealth. See? So where does that sit? They don't have the Queen on their money. That's why I go like, they're, just, they're not in the Commonwealth. Yeah? We could have given their advertising agency $46 million. See, I'm, I'm sure. just struggling with the whole concept because I think it's a social construct and... Well, well, it's not a social everything construct. Everything is. Sport is a social it, construct. No, I know. But it was, I'm struggling it was the with Empire being... Games back in the day. Like, I'm sort of... I'm Me still... Uh, you know, I'm still thinking about that. Oh, I'm struggling with voluntarily Empire, wanting Empire. to be in the Commonwealth. <laughs> Same. Why? Yeah, really. What? Why? So they can play Because you get to win medals. You know why? Because they get to come and compete at an event yes. without America. Exactly. Yeah, and actually they come in the top five for yeah, once. And uh, you get an invite to the Royal Wedding. Oh, do you? I don't know. Oh, no, I don't think you do. I can Justin I just um, shout out to um, long-time listener, Long time texter Neil Race, who is our father, <laughs> um, who did say Not that he thought father. that it, he thought that it was unsporting like that the Commonwealth Games that they actually keep a medal tally. That, that if they're going to be legit about it being friendly games and stuff like that, they shouldn't worry about mm. the medal tally. Because mm. I felt like we were a bit like in your face, everybody look at all our medals. It is it's hard a bit to ugly, watch, isn't, isn't it? it? It's a bit ugly. Living with a British man, I can tell you, got very ugly. <laughs> the medal mm. tally, but. Um, it's too expletive laden to say here today. Oh, I feel your pain. Yeah, he's Shout out to Doug. I feel your pain. Um, okay, so this week we saw one Rebecca Goddard, uh, the premiership coach of the Adelaide Crows, announced that she, well, the, the um, club announced that she would be not returning as the AFLW coach in the year um, ahead. We've obviously paid close attention to the career of Beck Goddard via this program. This news felt like a massive blow to the fans and the players and advocates of the AFLW competition. The official statement from the club cited her decision to leave as a decision that she wanted to pursue her law enforcement career. We know that she has a job with the AFP. Um, but Beck's statement said, I'm hopeful I'll have the opportunity to work in football full time. So I felt like there was quite a gap between those two statements. Um, I also heard Rob Chapman, um, who is the president of the Adelaide Crows, um, on SEN on Friday night before the Adelaide game, 
talking about it and he said he said we ha- we just can't pay a 12 month role for an 8 week competition so let's put to the side that yeah 8 week competition is probably actually a 6 month commitment i just felt like i just said to myself in the car out loud why not why seriously why not i mean mm. we we've we've looked at this week we've seen this influx of money 20 million dollars going to be spent on princess park so that's an investment in female footy but an investment in female footy is not just about change rooms and it's not just about upgrading you know and it's seats not just and bleachers. a 10 week thing no it's it? not just a 10 week thing i feel like it's not enough that we go that we have the competition and then we're just sitting here stagnating because we've known that this was an issue. Specifically, we've known this was an issue for Beck. We know she's talked about in the past that um, she had to use all her annual leave from her full-time job to be able to take the role in season one. So that's a red flag, right? Mm. And so we know that the players struggle constantly with trying to, you know, have full-time jobs or Mm. study or whatever and then also be available for playing and for all the commitments that that has. My concern is that when someone of the calibre of Beck Goddard is leaving after year two, as much as I am Pollyanna and I love this competition so much and I want to see the positives, I'm I'm panicked by it because what's going to happen is if people of that kind of calibre leave, they will go to swimming, NRL, soccer. Mm. I mean, I, that's what I would be looking if yeah, I actively was recruiting, yeah. using one of those. Mm. So if I was from one of those codes, I'd be looking at good people who've had success. Maybe think about as well how premiership coaches are so revered. In the mm. AFLM, if you've got a, someone who's won a premiership, I mean, look at Ross Lyon. He's, he's been a senior coach for 11 years and hasn't had a premiership. No. And here is the first premiership coach in two decades at the Adelaide Crows leaving because they couldn't find the money or they couldn't... They, my my understanding is that they offered her um, a role that would have had her a full-time position at the Adelaide Crows, but that it wasn't um, commensurate with her what she can earn at the AFP, which for them is obviously an issue. They can't find the money, which is annoying. But maybe is that not where the AFL step in? I mean, I know that it, some people might say that it's naive or, or simplistic for me to see it like this, but... When we know that the AFL do offer handouts and help and hand and you know hand ups is that what you call it yeah. um, to clubs like we've seen with the Gold Coast Suns, then why isn't this a situation where the AFL and I mean maybe Nicole Livingston is on the phone and saying how can we help this situation? But mm. when I then look at what is being advertised for the Carlton. AFLW coaching role where they're offering free parking at Princess Park and 20% off in the merch um, store as part of the benefits of taking the job. I'm panicked. Yeah, I'm really panicked because what happens is no one's got their eye on the on the comp right now and if someone like Beck Goddard is leaving with all that she knows mm. and that all that she has brought to the competition, then why would the players stick around? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I think the last um, premiership coach to retire from the AFL was actually Mick Malthouse before um, Beck. Mick Malthouse was the last person to retire? 
No, he's the last premiership say? coach. But last premiership coach. Yes, Sorry. the last okay. premiership coach to leave the AFL because now that Beck is obviously a premiership coach as well. Um, and I remembered actually thinking this week that in his last season as coach, you might recall that Malthouse broke the all-time record for the most AFL games coached, which I think is 715 games. Um, and in the season before he retired from the AFL, the AFL, including its CEO, Gil McLaughlin, contacted Malthouse and asked him to pick who he would like to play in the game that would be the milestone game so that they could then work the fixture around him. And, of course, he chose Collingwood because he had coached Collingwood to a flag in um, 2011. And was coaching Carlton at that time, yeah. That's right, he was coaching Carlton. So in his flagship game, he played he coached Carlton against his old team, Collingwood. Um, and I just thought about that. I thought about the contrast of the way in which the sort of red carpet was rolled out for Mick Malthouse and the way that the AFL were able to, um, you know, make these compromises or concessions to work around him and celebrate his achievement, which, of course, is a fabulous achievement. Um I hope one day that we'll see a woman a woman coaching 700 or 800 games. But as you say, I'm at the moment I think it would be an achievement to even see a woman coach 20 games. Yeah. Beck's coached 16 and, and here she goes and she's out. And um, I, I hope that the AFL Coaches Association and the AFL and others have been in touch with her like they were in touch with Mick Malthouse um, for very different reasons in this context. But... Um, She's an enormous loss to the game. There's no doubt about it. Raises a point, Kate. How do, how do we put systems in place to help female coaches get to the same level as a Mick Malthouse? So it doesn't just happen organically. Mm. You need people to be thinking about it very carefully. And I heard Carolyn Wilson on 3AW last night talk about Peter Searle and you'll remember that there was much fanfare when Peter Searle was appointed as the first female assistant coach in the AFL but did uh, did anyone ever see her sitting in a coaching box through mm. AFL games? I, I've never seen Bette Goddard sitting in an uh, and correct me if I'm wrong but you know has she been ever given that opportunity to sit in the coaching box with the AFL men's team Um and, you know, imagine the professional development that could come from something like that. Well, we've seen Chris Fagan, um, conversely, I suppose, um, offering his support to Craig Stasevich at the Lions, right? Mm, yeah. So we've seen him on the sidelines. We've seen him around that grand, around the finals mm. time um, with the Lions. And we know from Craig Stasevich that he got a lot of support from Fagan. But you're right. Like, I've never seen Mish Cowan sitting in the coach's box with Ross Lyon. I don't I think... And I think that uh, one of the challenges, so there's a couple of things going on there that really frustrate frustrate me, I have to say, um, is that this idea of women's football is considered an expense somehow and not an investment. And so where they are investing are, are in things, you know, uh, grounds and all the rest of it, maybe not lights yet, but we'll get there too, hopefully. But it's about structures and, and all the rest of it, not the personnel. And that comes down again to this gender thing, I think, because, you know, there a lot more women are involved in women's football than there are men. And it continues to be the most sort of neglected path is the personnel themselves. So the money's going into all those other things that um, are around the sport, but not actually the people who make the sport. Well, we see like when Erin Phillips, I think, has a job at the AFL. Mm. And so that's obviously a lure to make her, like, you know, to keep her mm. invested in the code. Mm. So players is one thing, mm. and she's a huge draw card. Absolutely, a, exactly. I feel like a lot of these clubs talk about this one club approach, where they, you know, they say it's one club, three teams, if they've got a VFL team or a, you know a local team as well. Um, 
Well, surely a one club, two team approach would look at the skills someone has and says, you know, in the, the men's team for Adelaide, uh, there's probably, uh, at last count, 10 people on the coaching panel. Assist, yeah, assistants assistant coaches, development coaches. Yeah. Would you not look at the skills that, um, that Beck has in men's football um, as well as women's football and not say, well, hang on, if we are going to be one club with two teams, why wouldn't we take her coaching expertise and their coaching expertise and work together? Mm-hmm. Um, what, how could there not be enough to do? Yeah, how specialised <laughs> and how different are the, you know, coaching is coaching and it's about working with people and absolutely there'd be skills that would work across both you know, it's codes of both the AFL, M and the W. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It could build and improve the men's team. I did put that to the Adelaide Crows and I was told it was apples and oranges, that I was comparing apples and oranges, which, you know, which is that, I guess, that definition of, you know, the men's comp is over here and the women's comp is over here and they're... they're Never the twain shall one's, one's got ten apples and one's got one orange. But... I guess what I would like to see is it flipped on its head that where you can't afford to keep Beck Goddard because she earns too much outside of her, um, outside in her everyday job. Well, how can you afford to lose her? Like if she earns that much, it's because of the skills that she yeah. has. You know, she's worked at the AFP. Like she's the AFP have actually been, I think, pretty amazing in being really um, fluid and allowing her to do both jobs. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine it's great for them that they've got such a high, per, like a high profile person working for them. Because imagine when she goes to mm-hmm. work, like, do, like everyone would know who she is. That would be a challenge in that role, I would imagine, as well. Oh, absolutely. But think about the benefits. I know, like, Kate did a really great job last week of talking about the financial positions of, of the AFL and talked about the benefits of women's football and really, I think, did a great job of saying, you know, we can't just think of, well, this is just an expense that we just spend here. The benefits of having somebody like Bette Goddard, who is the first premiership coach, flows on in so many different ways in terms of inspiring people, in making people want to be part of the competition, in making people sign up. And I don't know if you remember, but I'm pretty sure it was middle of last year, there was a big announcement from Adelaide that they had a big new sponsor in BHP. Yeah, that was was, true. And and all of the information about that was that was to support their women's team for the next three years and it's a big partnership and it's all over the jumpers. So there are a lot of benefits that flow from having true gender equity and a really well-supported women's team with all of the things that need to go around that and it seems very short-sighted to say well we can't find a position for this person at that level Um, and so we're just going to oh that's sad we'll just let her go. Mm. You know in economics there's this concept known as opportunity cost which simply speaking refers to the the cost of a, a missed opportunity often in just purely economic terms although that term has taken on a broader meaning over time um so you know when we talk about the opportunity cost we're talking about something like say the profit that you might have made if you bought shares in bitcoin all those years ago um or the value that you lost and sometimes the value that you gain by making decision a instead of decision b 
And although I don't think of Beck Goddard's value in purely economic terms, um, because she has brought an enormous amount to this competition, so much credibility, she's been such a force, such a personality, um, such a joy to watch, and also obviously she's made an enormous contribution to football in that state and in the Northern Territory, don't forget. Um, but the opportunity cost, I think, socially and economically and in other ways of her departure is um, enormous, absolutely enormous. And as you said, Em, I, you know, I, I know clubs have soft caps and hard caps and I'm not naive about that either. I understand how the rules work. The rules can also be changed, as mm. we know. The AFL can change the rules. To me, it's really hard to fathom that in a competition as wealthy as the AFL, a competition that made, remember, a profit of nearly $50 million last year, a, a competition that has just propped up the Gold Coast Suns to the tune of $25 million last year alone, and I don't want to pick on the Gold Coast Suns, but it's important to, to remember that. Um, one of the reasons, I should say, just as a side note, that the AFL propped up the Gold Coast Suns to that tune um, publicly stated by the AFL is that they didn't have a coach's sponsor. And we, as you said, mm. Lucy, um, the Adelaide Crows did have um, BHP come on board last year. Um, but that was one of the justifications for the AFL supporting the Gold Coast Suns last year. The AFL is also exploring games in India and China. I read this morning that they have dedicated staff to Indian and Chinese expansion. So high-level executives that they're paying to try and explore expansion in countries that have often, I think, probably never heard of our game. So there's money going in all of those directions. And part of the reason the AFL is spending money on the Gold Coast and Greater Western Sydney and India and China is because of the perceived opportunity cost of doing nothing in those markets and the potential loss if we don't expand into them. So they've made a strategic decision about the missed opportunity of, of doing nothing. And, and yet I find it hard to believe that they don't think about the resources and the the value that they have in someone like Beck Goddard back here and that they don't think about that as an opportunity cost, an opportunity lost. And I just want to remind us that all of this has happened at a time when the AFL sending memos to coaches and players, sending a message that the game needs to get better, it needs to be more exciting and higher scoring and more of a spectacle and um, that they want all of those things on the one hand and on the other they let one of the game's biggest assets, a master strategist, a great thinker, a great coach, a great, great champion of the sport, walk straight out the door. It's uh, mm. absolutely extraordinary. Which is a great communicator too, which is something the AFL is not always great at. Kate, am I, I feel like I, I remember back when GWS started, they were really supported by the AFL and I don't, maybe I've got this wrong, but I feel like they paid for Kevin Sheedy. As the coach, like uh, I could have this completely wrong, but I just have in my head that with some of those clubs when they were foundation clubs and setting up, obviously they didn't have the money for those sorts of investments. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not sure either, but um, I'm I'm almost certain that the AFL appointed Kevin Sheedy and I think put a substantial amount of money in to fund those expansion clubs. Back then, uh, the CEO of the AFL was Andrew Dimitriou, and I'll just read to you a quote from what he said when he announced the appointment of Kevin Sheedy as their inaugural coach. Dimitriou said, this is a generational decision and the success of AFL in Greater Western Sydney won't be known for 25 or 30 years, but with a population of 2 million people, the AFL is serious about this venture. 
And today's appointment of one of the biggest names in AFL demonstrates our commitment to this region. And he then went on to say that AFLs identified the greater west of Sydney as a priority for expansion and Team GWS needs to demonstrate that it can build support and connect with the community. Kevin Sheedy has been a success as a player and a coach and is without peer when it comes to engaging new communities in our game. So that's a fairly... Um, stark example of the AFL well, exactly. being and, and it goes back to that idea that if if a club like Adelaide isn't financially able to support mm. the women's team in the professional manner of having a professional full-time coach, then well, if this is the expansion plan from the AFL, why aren't they supporting it? So maybe women's teams need to be seen as a new franchise rather than seen as an expansion of an existing club because yes. then they'll actually be afforded some of those benefits that will support them. And the other thing that I would dish up again, and I think this is what uh, you know, underlines everything that we're talking about and uh, what we stand for at the Outer Sanctum is that we're tapping into a market that already exists of footy fans. We don't need to, we're not talking about going out and tapping Greater Western Sydney because there's 2 million people out there who don't know about football yet. We're talking about investing in women. We're talking about investing in people who have been disenfranchised by the game because they haven't been included in the conversation. And I think that that is actually a worthwhile investment because we already love the game and we're eking it out and we're trying to get involved. So don't push us out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So the Adelaide Crows would like to see her back at the club, that the board has said that they would love to find a way to make this work. Um, and just talking about the economy of, um, of gender, I suppose, I'll would ask you to turn your attention to a book by Beck Brideson and she talks about the economy of having, If you, I think she states that if you have just four women on a board that you can increase your profit by 30%. So it looks like that's an opportunity missed. But so I, I know that I think we're, I'm, the thing that sparked my thinking on all of this was just the, was just the president saying, well, how can we afford to pay someone a 12-month contract for an eight-week competition. It just feels that there are so many um, asterisks with with that actual statement mm. because we know that it's not an eight-week commitment. I'm just going to state that again. So I think that if we want the AFLW to move forward, we can't just accept that things need to stay the same. We need to have innovative thinking. We need to have forward planning. People who have been granted these licences that are huge, huge for their supporter base. I've heard Mark LeJudache talk about um, how many more clicks that they get on their website now that they have an AFLW team. If you have an AFLW licence, I think it's, it's on you. It's incumbent on you to make sure that you're actually fulfilling all of the promises that that, mm. that 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 lends your club and and your female patrons and um, you need to you need to find a way and if you can't find a way then I think that this is one of those things I would really like to see the AFL or um, the coaches association step in I think it's probably too late now for Beck because mm. she will have had to mm. um, make her decisions and make her plans and go forward but um, she's a great coach and she's sitting out there not not looking like she'll exactly. be coaching AFLW next year, Felicity. And I guess my big question too is if you can't find a full-time job for someone for an eight-week competition, how do you find one for someone for a 22-week competition? Yeah. Because AFLM is not 12 months of the year. 23. No. 23, sorry. Mm. Um, so is that not a full-time job? I think this has been such a trigger for me specifically and maybe for you guys as well, I don't know. And this is where women do need to be listened to is that we – Women's careers often have interrupted pathways. We talk about interrupted pathways so much, whether it's that you take time out 
to have children or raise children or to try and get professional development um, in another way because we haven't had the same opportunities as our brothers. And um, and so I think that's why this is a red flag for me, that um, these decisions are being made and um, I think it, it needs a broader it needs a broader approach. It's, it, you know, equity isn't necessarily giving everyone the same. It's giving people what they need. And I guess that that's my hope, that going forward we don't lose any more good people because we need them in this competition. One way to engage fans that I noticed this week when my kids started playing is to get them when they're young, get them involved in AFL when they're little, little, little. Nicole? Yeah, there's a, a new book out, Spectacular AFL Stories, and I happen to have a story in it. It's available for um, in all your best bookshops and it is aimed at kids. We've got a bunch of um, very highly regarded footy type uh, children's authors, two of whom are here with us today. I'm very excited to have um, Siobhan Plaza, who is an award-winning writer of the critically acclaimed Frankie and her latest novel, Tin Heart, which has only just come out. Um, she's written short stories for different books and a range of publications and is a mad keen Saints fan. Absolutely. Hi, Siobhan. <laughs> and we have Adrian Beck, another of the authors on in this book, um, who's a part-time author, part-time TV producer and full-time Saints Supporter, we've got two of them yes. here. Yep. We're ganging up on you. We two are. saints, two over. hawks. I know, and and yet you say you're surrounded by Hawthorne in your family, so you'll be very at home here with the outer sanctum. Oh no, I can't get away from the hawks. We're all Hawthorne. Uh, he's also the author of Kick It to Nick book series with Hawthorne legend Shane Crawford, and the upcoming The Champion Charlie series about a junior soccer team. So really excited to have you guys here. Yeah. Um, we'll start with you, Siobhan. What's your? How did you end up sort of becoming a fan of footy? I grew up in country Victoria, so there wasn't actually any option for me not to be a footy fan. It was watching it on the TV and going to local footy. I've got two older brothers who played local footy, you know, up until early 20s, sort of. And it's just part of my family's history, just going to the local footy, having a kick kick on the oval. I never actually played myself, um, but it was just something we all did and I still have very fond memories of as a family sitting around in the cold eating chocolate watching footy on the weekend it was, oh, it was, it was a family <laughs> we, we, would, we would get through like an entire block the whole family oh. we'd sort of break it up and share it and stuff like I just every time I eat chocolate now in the winter I yeah. think footy like it's yes. just oh, it's, see, it's the jam donuts for me no chocolate. meat pies surely meat pies no vegetarian yeah. man no. <laughs> me too there you go the same person same person <laughs> Um, Adrian, what about for you? Oh, much the same. Uh, I grew up in Tassie in Hobart and my dad used to play in the ruck for the Hobart Tigers. Mm. So once he'd uh, finished his career, which wasn't all that illustrious, probably <laughs> led us to believe it was a little bit more illustrious than it was, <laughs> um, he took uh, myself and my two brothers along to all the Hobart Tigers matches. In fact, um, I say I'm a Saints supporter, but um, I grew up. Uh, following the Hobart Tigers more so than the Saints. And we used to go to the North Hobart Oval and it was freezing cold, much mm. like your experience. But yeah. I, we had the hot pies to warm us up. It was concrete <laughs> everywhere. There was uh, no shelter whatsoever. Um, we lost more often than we won. But um, 
yeah, we just used to, we, whenever anyone asked us who we went for, we'd say Tigers. And we didn't mean Richmond. We went over. <laughs> and now my brother is actually the coach of the Tigers. So oh. it's all con- sort of come full circle. It's so funny you mentioned the concrete because how many times at Waverley or oh. so many parks that mm. we sat in and our bums went numb. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> in Arctic Park. I right. lo- yeah, I love, Adrian, um, the Echidna Gully Oval. And you certainly have the family reference in your story. Maybe tell us a bit about your character and uh, Yes. Well, look, um, I, I was surrounded by footy. My two brothers were really good at footy. Uh, my youngest brother represented Tassie in footy in uh, the under-18s and was hoping to get drafted. Didn't quite work out that way. Um, but uh, and my dad was into footy, so I'm surrounded by footy, and I'm an Auskick coach for my daughter, um, who's a part of the Fitzroy club. But uh, I was all, not all that good at footy. <laughs> so, um, in fact, uh, I remember my last game. Uh, the uh, it was a grand final, and the coach. This was grade nine, and the coach gave us all our positions that we were going to play. And he got through the whole field and it got, got to me. And I'm thinking, oh, he hasn't called my name yet. What's going on here? And he said, right, Adrian, you're going to be helping us out with the filming of the game. And I said, oh, okay, great. All right, well, I get to film the film the game, do I? And he goes, no, no, you don't get to film the game. You get to stand next to the guy that's filming the game and make sure that the power socket doesn't get, the power cord doesn't get kicked out of the socket. But, oh, wow, this is a real, this is, I'm going to remember this grand final for years to come. So I've, I've never really been a natural at, as much as I've loved footy, I've never been a natural at it, despite my family. So I wanted to write a story about a kid who wasn't necessarily a natural at it. Mm-hmm. So what happened in his last game, I was trying to make the finals and a seagull um, pooed on him, on his face, as he was lining up for goal, trying to take his <laughs> kick. So he missed the goal. Very important kick that would win them the game. Exactly. Right. Yes. Would have got them into the finals. Yes. Exactly. So poor old Drew became known as Bird Poo Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Let down his team and we find him when he's turning up for the first training session of the next year. Um, and he's hoping that everyone's forgotten about that incident. No way. No. no. They no. haven't. No. No. Were you <laughs> light socket Adrian? Was I what, sorry? <laughs> Were you socket Adrian? <laughs> that was a I bit of your TV career probably. It yeah, probably was, exactly. yeah, because now I do do a bit of work behind the scenes in TV. So, yeah, that I mean, that probably set me on a different path. So <laughs> I have to have a lot to thank for, that coach. Uh, Siobhan, your story uh, looks at bullying. Uh, mm. And I love how footy is such a great prism to sort of address yeah. issues are in um you know in the world today do you want to tell us about your story yeah well, it's about um a bunch of grade four kids who are absolutely footy mad but their primary school is a bit small and there's not a lot of space to have kick to kick um and the grade sixes there's a one oval and the grade sixes like that's their oval no one else is allowed on the oval um so one day this group of grade fours just get a little bit tired of that thinking you know you know, we love our footy. We want to have a kick tick as well. And they trudge up to the oval, but the grade sixes are not having that. And so they end up sort of challenging them to a, a kickoff, best, uh, first to three goals, gets exclusive use of the oval. Um, and it was just about that whole idea of, yeah, of bullying, but also just the sport is one of those sort of great things where, you know, you can make assumptions about people and what you think they can and can't do. And you can get someone on the footy field who looks like, they're not, you know, going to be amazing and then, you know, they'll absolutely win the game and they're fantastic. Like, you can't really judge and anyone can yeah. actually participate in football to any level. Um, and it was sort of, there's a lot about teamwork and stuff in the world that the, the grade fours win 
Oh, I shouldn't give that away, but they do. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> based, based on the fact that they work together and, and they're good friends with each other and the great six is not so much. So, yeah. Well, what is the great leveller, isn't it? I mean, it, it could be any body, shape, yep. size. The yeah. little the little guy, the little girl can yeah. kick butt and that's what happens in your story. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we were watching the footy on the weekend, actually, and there's a player for Geelong. He looks like he's not going to be... Cause he looks too small. Every time mm. you see him, you think, you're too small to be playing football. But he's a great footballer. Looks yeah. Small. He surprises me every time. <laughs> but that's a good thing about it, though, because you can be whatever body shape exactly. you are, and there's yeah. a role for you, whether it's ruck or whether it's yeah. rover or full forward. Yeah, it's a, that's what's so great about the game. We've seen that a lot in the AFLW, too, haven't we? Yeah. It's, it's, it is a very cool thing about the, that sport. Yeah. With footy riding with the both of you, who do you like to read, or is it just a matter of opening the Sunday papers and reading through the journalism, or are there some creative writers that you love in this subject? Well, I kind of listen to the commentary. And I kind of, when I'm writing the footy um, action, I kind of imagine what the commentators would say. And uh, and I think someone was it was it one of one of you wrote Centimeter Perfect in there. Yeah, that that was me. That was (laughs) me. I'm very I'm similar to that. I I imagine all the action sequences. I imagine it's a commentator saying what's happening next, and I say you know all the things that they would have said. And uh, I try and I try and um, make it sound like you're listening to the commentary from a footy game. Yeah, but I think for me, I'm actually inspired by. The little kids and stuff that I know. So I've got three nephews and a, and a niece. And when they're playing football, show me a kid who doesn't commentate themselves yeah. as they're playing football. <laughs> yeah. And the language that they use, which is taking on the commentary language and stuff. And that just that's just the part of the narrative of football is actually the way you see people experiencing it. It's not necessarily something I would read, but it's just it's what it actually is. And, and how kids actually experience football is that whole commentary and the, the language around it. Mm. Oh, it goes beyond footy too. It's yeah. like, I'm yeah. eating my cereal and she's going for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's got the milk. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Something about the audience and the competition, the combo, just it's unstoppable. Um, there are a whole bunch of stories in there. That, I mean, we've got a, there's a spaceship, there's a, sorry, an intergalactic game, there's <laughs> ghosts, there's... Nicole Hayes. Yes. There is. There is yes. Nicole Hayes. There is. About a young girl. I've heard she's very good. Well, she's a very good author, isn't she? Yes. <laughs> I'd like to meet her one day. Um, there's about a little girl that's going to kick 100, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, can she make it? Can she make it and should she make it? Mm. Because it's grand final day and uh, the team needs to win and they didn't do so well last year. She kind of mozzed it for the team. Feels a lot of responsibility to, mm. to be the winning, to Was kick the winning goal. The ball? Well, she's a full forward. Is this so. sort of based on personal experience? <laughs> if only I got to play. I never got to play one single real game. Really? No, only I played trained for years. Where would you have played? Full forward? I was a rover. Yeah. Right. Yeah, on, on ball. And in fact, I got selected to play. That was one of That's my, uh, my heartbreak story. I got selected to play, but then the tribunal wouldn't let me. So I was Tribunal? Yeah, like or the administrative body oh, right. or whatever they. Um, I was going to say, what, what, did, what have you been doing? Maybe that's not the right term. Anyway, people in charge said no girls allowed, so I was selected and they're not able to play. I found out on the day too, oh, no. after years of training. Anyway, these are okay. twelve Brownlow worthy <laughs> stories. That's for sure, as it says on the cover. Just quickly, what's next for you guys and your football writing careers? What's next for you, Siobhan? Um, well, you've got your YA out right now. I, I do you? have my YA. Give it a plug. Go on. And yeah, Tin Hearts about a girl who's um, just experienced a, a heart transplant. Um, I was inspired by my brother who went through a transplant um, a, a year or so ago, and I just thought, well, 
what happens next and how do you actually transition into a life having experienced that and it's sort of it's about that whole process but um yeah I'm working on something at the moment which I don't want to talk about too much because it's you know it's top secret to, well it's just you don't want to talk about it too much no, when you're yeah. in the process of just doing it yeah, yeah. all right tin heart's fantastic everyone should get into it thank you yeah, uh, I'm writing a series at the moment, a soccer series actually. Um, I can't stray too far away from the sport. Um, <laughs> and it's called The Champion Charlies. It's about um, Charles from the boys' team and Charlotte from the girls' team. They turn up for the new season and uh, because there's a, a few families that have moved away from the school, they don't quite have the numbers for a boys' and a girls' team. So they have to have a mixed team. And we just this, the series, I guess, is about them working together. If there's room for two champion Charlies mm. in one oh, soccer team, nice. sounds good. Mm. Uh, that sounds amazing. Um, thank you so much for coming in, you guys. And Spectacular AFL Stories is available now, and everybody should get out and get it and, and yes. read these two Adrian Beck and Siobhan Plaza's incredible stories. Thank Thanks you. Thank you. Junior footy is back. So, um, as I said, my kids started playing on the weekend. It was a very proud moment for me. One thing that I noticed was this gorgeous sign um, that was saying, you know, the volunteers are just real people and their parents and everyone kind of keep your manners in, which I enjoyed seeing. I think that's a really good message. I know. You know, we kind of live in a bit of a bubble here where I feel like I've just had this gorgeous AFLW experience and then AFLM started and finally last weekend it was junior footy and I was so excited to get out there with... Um, my youngest, he's playing in the under 11s. Um, I was so disappointed though. Like we're in the change room beforehand and there's a team of under 11 boys and they're all like doing a little ha 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 kind of warm up and one of the club officials goes, oh, it's raining and it's wet and we're going to get out there and have fun because this isn't girls footy. Oh, oh no. no. I, my little soul just, it just broke a little bit and I went, oh, I forget that we're, we live in this land where we don't think like that. And mm. He's talking about my daughters. Mm. He's <sighs> mocking my children. <laughs> mm. I, I, I did that thing that my kids really like, you know, if someone starts agitating on a train, I can always feel when my kids put their hands over onto me and goes, it doesn't have to be you. <laughs> <laughs> but I did speak up and I just said, you need to do better. You know, there's, this is a club with girls teams, women's teams, you know. So I was a little bit disappointed, but I would just challenge everybody to uh, speak up. Yep. And don't don't accept that anymore. You know, that's old. That's old thinking. That's old talk and no more. No. Language Good matters. On Good on yep. you. And so do um, optics. And if you're in grassroots sporting areas, you need to, you know, make sure that you don't encroach on the space of other people as exactly. well. Exactly. That's another really exactly. important and point. As I was explaining to my 11-year-old, I said if language didn't matter, um, then you would all be fine if we called you ruck women. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, mm. we're trying to have the conversation about the importance of language. Yep, good mm. point. Uh, Lucy, you had one suggestion for the Richmond Footy Club that I, I was did. really enjoying. I'm really hoping Peggy O'Neill's listening to this. So uh, did you see that Richmond's become the first club to reach 90,000 members? Yes. So 90,023 members. And I was sitting at the MCG the other day and I was thinking, this is a great, opportunity for them to get all of those members to come in and sit down at the MCG and take a photo. (laughs) Brilliant. Wouldn't you love to see it? Yeah, and then they can cut out where there's no one sitting and say, picture yourself here. Yeah. Are you allowed to bring pets? No, uh, Richmond don't have pet memberships, do they? Uh, I I think they they might. Oh, okay. But 
I don't know. I think okay. all the clubs do. Do they? I yeah. can neither categorically. I love the idea. Yeah. Love I'm the idea. idea too. Okay, are we done? Are we done for the day? We are done. Yeah. Uh, can I just say, I'm really bets. excited. I'm going to go to the Anzac Day match and I love that game because it is like how you would imagine a grand final, like game aside. It is two teams, half the grounds, red and black, half the grounds, black and white. And, and I love it. And, you know, if you want to see the MCG in full flight with just fans, um, then, yeah, go to that one. Also, the Anzac Day Eve game, which I've been to before, is also fabulous. Massive. It's a really great um, atmosphere. Mm. Amazing. Yep. I've never been to the Anzac Day game. <gasps> Me neither. Never. I feel like it's not my place to. I don't mm. support those teams. I'm like, yeah, let the baby have Should its bottle. Should be a great game. <laughs> if you loved football. <laughs> oh, are you serious? Okay, I'm sleeping out for a ticket. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, as always, we'd love you to get in contact on um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can email us. People do all the time. Write um, us a letter. If yeah. you can find our mailing address, write <laughs> us a letter. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. And uh, go, go footy. footy. Okay. Bye.